know, sometimes I have to turn on an episode of ER uh, or Grey's Anatomy, and I watch people, and I think, oh, wow, they do something really cool. And I think, oh, no, that's, that's what I do. Hello and welcome to the Geeky Medics podcast and welcome to the first episode of the new year. My name is Josh and this podcast selfishly gives me an excellent excuse to interview interesting doctors and healthcare professionals from a range of different backgrounds. As I'm sure you can agree, it can sometimes be difficult to know what to specialise in and in particular, it can be difficult to know what certain careers are actually like in practice. And with our guests, we drill down into why they chose the speciality they're in and what it's really like to do the job. Today, we're joined by Dr. Dan Magnus, a consultant in paediatric emergency medicine. I hope you enjoy. Dr. Magnus, thank you for joining us uh, on the Geeky Medics podcast. It's lovely to have you on. Um, and I think, you know, having a read about you and your career, I think it'd be really interesting to sort of explore from a, a medical student and a, a sort of foundation doctor point of view, you know, how do you get into paediatric emergency medicine and, you know, uh, and, and what sort of things you can do to sort of get into that career pathway. Um, and it'll be really interesting to talk to you about all of that. So thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Nice to be with you. Um, I think the first thing I should say um, for full disclosure and maybe as some comfort for anybody listening is I still don't feel like I completely know what I want to do with my career and with my life. Um, and I think that's an important thing to say out loud because um, I spend a lot of time looking at people um, with what seem to be very successful career pathways thinking, oh my goodness, how did you know what you wanted to do and how did you do it? I think the truth is everybody's slightly making it up. Um, and, and I think that's a good thing for people to hold on to because it means that none of us needs to feel too stressed or too pressurized about having to decide everything immediately. And for myself, for example, when I left medical school, one of the only things I didn't want to do as a doctor was pediatrics. And it was really a series of events that led to me doing a pediatric job um, as a doctor in training, equivalent back then of what would have been an F2 year, really, um, when I started doing some paediatrics um, and suddenly I realized that I was completely in love with it, did paediatric training and then later decided on paediatric emergency medicine, which I can talk to you more about. So, you know, sometimes the most what seemed to be organized career pathways often only arose through a series of kind of chance events and serendipity, really. I feel like you're, you're talking directly to me uh, at a point in my career where I have absolutely no idea what I want to do, um, which is kind of the point of the podcast. So um, we'll sort of, yeah, p unpick that a little bit. Um, so, I mean, what's what have you been up to this week? What does a sort of an average week look like for you uh, as a paediatric emergency uh, consultant? Yeah, so uh, in paediatric emergency medicine, and many of your listeners, I, I guess, will know this, but effectively, you know, based full time in the children's emergency department. And I'm lucky enough to work in a specific children's emergency department because there are two types of paediatric emergency consultant. There are doctors who trained in emergency medicine in general who have got some paediatric expertise. They're patients who can see adults in an emergency department. 
And then there are doctors like me who are paediatricians, subspecialized in paediatric emergency medicine, and we can only work in specific paediatric emergency departments. It's been, I think the last time I put a stethoscope or touched an adult patient clinically uh, was 2004. That's quite a long time ago now. And you, you really wouldn't want me working in an emergency department for adults. So yeah, so based in the emergency department, I was on a late and on call shift last night. So that was 4pm till midnight and then on call from home for emergencies until eight o'clock this morning. Uh, so clinical shifts, normally about three clinical shifts a week. And then the rest of the week spent doing kind of non-clinical work. So whether that's research or audit or in my case, because I'm currently the head of the department, um, you know, running the department and trying to steer us through what is, I'm afraid to say, proving to be a very challenging winter so far. Um, so uh, where did you train initially? You obviously mentioned, mentioned the last time you did adult medicine was, was in 2004. That must have been like senior house officer um, type time. Uh, where, where did you where did you train? Yeah, no, Josh, that's a good question, because I'm, a, I, I'm actually a lot older than I look. My incredible youthful good looks, obviously, you know, tell a small lie. But uh, no, I, I'm a, I trained in, or I went to medical school in Nottingham, um, and then moved down to the southwest um, for uh, what you say at that time were senior house officer jobs. Um, so work did, did uh, my first ever job actually after the equivalent of foundation jobs was in an emergency department, was in the A and E department in Bath, um, and then actually I went to Kenya. I took six months out to do some. Uh, medical work there again it was that was sort of adult medicine and then I came back and I thought I was just going to do six months of pediatrics as part of a kind of training in emergency medicine um, at that time and then did six months of pediatrics and realized that you know I found something that I just absolutely loved and that, like I said right at the beginning I think that should provide some comfort that you know actually often it's the things that we stumble into uh, in our lives in general, I think, actually, that often can provide, you know, the greatest reward and, and change our whole direction, really. Um, and uh, you work in Bristol at the um, uh, Children's Hospital in Bristol. Uh, so I suppose we'll, we'll probably unpick a few things then. So uh, you, you mentioned a series of events that sort of brought you into paediatrics uh, generally and stumbling across it. So, you know, how did you sort of stumble into peds? It was just, as you say, a, a job that you did and, and fell in love with it. Was there anything else that you... Yeah, I mean, I think for all of us, and you know, we're all different. We've all got things that we enjoy and like more than other things. You know, for me, um, and for many of you, I'm sure, you know, it's the people that make everything in life, really. And, and I think what I've experienced really from the get go in paediatrics was a way of talking to each other and, you know, interacting with, with each other as healthcare professionals, but also with patients and families that just really appealed to me. Um, and, and I stand by that, actually. I I'm, I'm, promise you, I'm not on commission for recruitment to paediatrics, but you know, I, I, I do stand by the fact that, you know, the the kind of support and the ethos and the environment of paediatrics, wherever you work, um, is something that I think will bring people joy and will maybe challenge actually their preconceived notions of what medicine can feel like. You know, it can feel, let's be honest, uh, like a hierarchical system that can be sometimes um, intimidating, sometimes con confrontational, um, sometimes really quite challenging. And Whilst there are bits of paediatrics that are hard, let's make no mistake about that, um, generally speaking, the things that really matter to me, um, from right my very first job as a paediatric doctor, you know, it just made sense to me. 
Um, and I think people often comment when they come and work in our department, you know, how lovely everybody seems to be to each other. And I, I think mm. if you speak to most pediatricians or pediatric trainees, that's something they'll say. And, uh, you know, I would encourage anyone to go onto the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health website, look at some of the materials there for foundation doctors or people thinking about what career to do, to do taster days uh, in pediatrics, for example. Um, and, you know, I think for a lot of people, they'll, they'll find a lot of pleasure that way. You know, you get a huge spike in uh, in trainee applications now on the next rotation. Uh, you've, you're, you're, you're selling it. You're selling it slowly. Um, you mentioned you, you did some work um, sort of uh, abroad. Uh, and you, I, I know you sort of you, you lead a global health uh, course for, at Bristol Uni. Uh, what if you could yeah, tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, even before paediatrics was a thing for me, and I mean, looking back, it feels confusing now because I, I actually was involved in programs for global child health in East Africa, uh, even before I thought I wanted to do paediatrics. So there must have been something then, something in the back of your mind. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, no, I'm, I've been involved in and very interested in the health of, you know, underprivileged, vulnerable populations in low and middle income countries for a long time. It was something that started as a medical student, actually, with what I would have to confess at the time was, you know, a very poorly thought out and ill-considered plan, um, but involved um, over many years, as it turned out, us growing what is now a UK registered charity and a charity based in, uh, in East Africa. Um, and then, you know, some of that expanded into working overseas. Most of the time I've spent working overseas has been in Kenya and then latterly in research projects in Nepal. Um, and now, like I say, I'm privileged enough to be the, the director of the Global Health BSc here in Bristol for intercalating students. And, and again, you know, if you asked me as a sort of 23 year old or however old I was graduating doctor at that time, you know, you know, do you think you'll end up as the director of a Global Health BSc for medical students? You know, I'd have, I'd have just, I just wouldn't have believed you. So it's just kind of funny how life plays out. And now it's my privilege and huge pleasure. Uh, to work with students and, and hopefully to help them gain the experience and understanding and, and to kind of cultivate the passion for global health that I'm so lucky to have had. And I guess that the whole thing about some sort of global health and projects abroad can be sort of difficult and the whole sort of concept of electives can be, you know, controversial about you know whether or not med students should go across uh, and sort of you know volunteer abroad I mean what are your thoughts on sort of that sort of dynamic yeah super important question and and you know maybe a podcast episode in the future where we could look at that together in more detail which I'd be happy to help you with I mean I think let's be clear as well the the landscape in this sphere has changed a lot in the last 15 to 20 years and I, and I think certainly some of the kind of ways we looked at global health 15, 20 years ago have totally changed and are now completely outdated mm. and inappropriate. Um, mm. You know, the, the idea that, you know, uh, you know, British medical students traveling to low-income countries to sort of practice on vulnerable people, you know, that clearly is not acceptable in any sort of sense now. Uh, and actually, you know, in the pandemic, things have changed. And, and, you know, for example, in my department at the moment, we are just getting up, up and running a global health program to support units looking after children in other countries with no intention at all of anyone getting on an aeroplane. And that's not a climate change issue, though it is also a climate change issue. Um, but, you know, understands the fact that there are things we can do around capacity building, support and collaborative working that aren't about 
going somewhere that are about working collaboratively um, and that exchange in knowledge and experience can be reciprocal you know most of the things we know about treating pneumonia in young children we learned in high-income countries from you know what we were taught about using oral antibiotics in children in low and middle-income countries for example there are hundreds of examples like that and so i think you know acknowledging that there is a global element to this that is about us all working together for the benefit of all mankind Mm. people kind i should say um you know without wanting to sound overly grandiose about it that i think you know should inspire us and, and make us feel good about working together in a global context mm. and your your sort of projects um abroad uh, uh, in kenya and nepal how has that sort of framed your your training um pathway i mean it's not not necessarily typical of a pediatric trainee uh you know how has it changed did you take time out of training um you know how, how has it sort of altered you know what you do now yeah good question so for me um most of the uh kenyan work actually i did completely separate to and alongside my training so not connected you know pleasure to be able to talk about it with my educational supervisor and at end of year appraisals but it was effectively a hobby that i was trying to fit in alongside my training with yeah. a little bit of time taken out i took some time out to go and work in kenya uh, i took some time out to do a master's degree at the london school of hygiene and tropical medicine but most of it was separate to my training um and then the nepal work more recently as a consultant is work that i've done you know as part of my job essentially but I, a, a common question and a very reasonable and important question from trainees and students that i get a lot of time is how do i do this how do i fit this in um, and the answer to that is it's hugely varied, depends a bit on what you want to do and who you are. So, for example, in pediatrics, the College of Pediatrics runs really good programs now through its global health department that actually builds in time out of your training program to mm. take part in what's called the Global Links program. You can take time out, obviously, to do research in global health um, or additional global health training. Um, and, you know, I think it depends on who you are and what you want to do. Um, but mm. my general advice to students and, and doctors just starting out in their training is just ask people, send emails, grab people, talk to them, ask them questions about global health and about creating the experiences that you want. Um, and you'll find what's right for you, um, you know, in a bit of time. Yeah. And I, I, I suppose another thing uh, that's is a common question uh, and it's about sort of research and i, I think you it, I, I guess kind of what you're saying you, you sometimes just fall into these things but research isn't something that particularly as an undergraduate i had any particular interest in uh I, I, and obviously you know now is part part of your job so i mean ha was it something you were interested in as an undergraduate you know did you want to do research yeah, so uh, some of your listeners might find it amusing to know that my epidemiology lecturer at Nottingham was Professor Van Tan. And um, <laughs> I had to go and sit in his office, actually, as an undergraduate, having completely failed my year one epidemiology exam. I got one of the lowest marks, I think, on record. Um, and then many years later was doing an epidemiology master's degree at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. So, you know, things really wax and wane uh, often. Um, and, you know, I think epidemiology, you know, is a bad subject to teach in year one uh, when students, I don't think, just they've just got other things. To, I certainly had other things to do and other things on my mind. Um, but, you know, the last two years have taught us, if, if we didn't know before, that it's kind of important. Um, and yeah. it's, certainly important it's certainly important in a global health um, sort of sphere. 
in terms of research, you know, I don't have a PhD. I wouldn't consider myself an academic, though I would highly advocate for those pathways in training. Um, but, you know, it's just something that is part of what I do in a children's emergency department on a day-to-day basis. It's part of what I do in global health. Um, and I think, you know, research in general, you know, it's just an important part of what we do, even if you don't want to badge yourself specifically as a researcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, yeah, epidemiology was taught in <laughs> one of my course and uh, uh, and it's just so annoying. I don't know any of it now. Uh, it's really, really frustrating. Um, yeah, it's one of those things. Um, so I suppose uh, we'll sort of uh, move on to uh, more of your career in pediatrics uh, and, and sort of how, how that is. I mean, peds, I suppose what puts me off it would be it sort of sounds scary you know sick children you know scare me <laughs> uh and, and i suppose and when it goes wrong it, it that's probably really hard i imagine and those sort of things i would guess would put people off pediatrics uh, as a career i mean how do you sort of grapple i think with that? you forget and you i think josh you didn't mention one thing that i think often puts people off as well which is and i, I mean this kind of with love um, which is children and their families, you know, so I think there's often a perception that, you know, one reason not to do pediatrics is, you know, who wants to look after a load of, you know, worried parents as well as their children. And that, I, you know, I don't mean that to sound unprofessional. I think that is genuinely mm. a fear that some people yeah. have. Um, but, you know, that's just not been my experience at all. Any of the things that you've described. I mean, it, it is definitely true that when, you know, real tragedy, you know, uh, occurs um with you know and let's be honest what we're really talking about here normally is the death of children um whether that's you know a child with a a chronic or kind of long-standing condition or the sudden death of an infant for example these are hugely challenging experiences and encounters that scar all of us obviously scar families um but but are very difficult um for us to deal with um as healthcare professionals but they're rare events in pediatrics they're really rare events um, and when they do happen um there's huge value that we can provide in providing you know the purest and most important compassion and care and love for the parents and the families that we're helping to look after more often in pediatrics are very unwell children who we can help um because children are by and large really healthy uh, humans right they've not been smoking and drinking their way through 70 or 80 years of their life already um, and a much more common experience of mine and my colleagues is to be in recess with a really sick child or a badly injured child uh, and uh, to make a huge difference in that child's life by you know inst- instigating um, and delivering critical and important time dependent care to make you know the biggest difference we can make in a child's life yeah. I have an eight-year, I have an eight-year-old son, Josh, who uh, about four years ago now had a cardiac arrest on my living room carpet. I mean, it's a pretty astonishing story. I can tell you that it ended well. Um, I had to give him about seven minutes of mouth-to-mouth and CPR. Um, so, students out there listening, remember basic life support super important. Don't gloss over it. Um, and you know, actually, when the experience of taking him to recess in my own emergency department and watching my colleagues, you know, save him effectively uh, was, you know, to this day, one of the most inspiring and sort of deeply traumatizing, of course, things that I've ever experienced. But 
how often in our careers do we feel like we're really making a difference on a day-to-day basis? And I think in pediatrics, whether it's the sort of more heroic sounding stuff like I've just described in Risa, or as was the case last night, you know, sitting with the mother of a small baby who's not really very ill, but the mum needs the reassurance from somebody confident and competent in assessing children. What, what an incredible privilege and what an amazing thing, you know, to spend our time doing. And, and I think yeah. that's, that's been my journey in pediatrics. It's not been punctuated by lots of sort of really, you know, terrible experiences. Um, stressful at times, sure, but hugely rewarding with the most amazing people. Um, and, you know, if I had to go back and choose a career path again, uh, I would say a hundred times out of a hundred, I'd be choosing pediatrics and specifically pediatric emergency medicine all over again. And I suppose there's lots of specialities of, of pediatrics and, and I guess you were more inclined for emergency medicine right from the beginning. Uh, what what sort of drew you to that rather than other other sort of subspecialities of peds? Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. And, you know, and I, I ought not to kind of sugarcoat the fact that you know, when the trauma phone went off at midnight last night as I was about to try and leave the hospital and suddenly was looking down the barrel of a whole night there, you know, part of me did think, oh, you know, paediatric dermatology might have been a good choice. And that's not meant that's not meant with any disrespect to my dermatology colleagues. But, you know, one ought to be realistic about the fact that different specialties have got different stresses and strains in all sorts of different ways. Um, so, you know, I think emergency medicine is not without its problems, you know, antisocial hours, more weekend working frequency, possibly, um, you know, busy and overcrowded departments and stuff. But I think there was always for me something about the, the, the variability and um, the variety in pediatric presentations. Um, you know, on a shift yesterday, I'm seeing two day old babies all the way through to 15 year olds. Um, with everything from, you know, breathing difficulties through to mental health problems, through to, you know, child, you know, involved in a road traffic collision, um, you know, in a different hospital in the region that needs to be brought in for us to develop, deliver, you know, time critical major trauma care. So uh, I think, you know, that was the thing that really, you know, attracted me to, to pediatric emergency medicine and, and, and remains to this day the thing that really keeps me there. And the the training in emergency medicine, I mean, can can you go into pediatric, pediatric emergency medicine through an emergency medicine training pathway without doing any peds? I mean, you you must do peds. So emergency, yes, yeah, so you can you can do emergency tr- medicine training, and then you get subspecialty training in pediatric emergency medicine with a one year kind of uh, dedicated training year for pediatrics. And so that gives you dual certification as an emergency medicine consultant and a pediatric emergency medicine consultant. Or you can do full pediatric training and then two years of pediatric emergency medicine subspecialty training. So we are, in effect, pediatric emergencyologists in the same way that we would be pediatric cardiologists or intensive yeah. care specialists or, or, or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, is there a benefit in doing one? over the other i mean do, i mean the ones that do emergency medicine as well as peds and not just peds i mean can they just then do pediatric emergency medicine as consultants or great great question doc um so we've got um in our department we've got 11 whole-time equivalent consultants and two of those are pediatric emergency medicine consultants who did emergency medicine training <laughs> and then peed subspecialty so that's so the minority are adults, in quotes, trained doctors just doing pediatric emergency medicine. Um, yeah. you know, most in, in pediatric emergency departments, 
most consultants have done pediatric training, but not all. And actually, there may be people listening to that thinking, well, that's not true in my department. Um, so I think there is some variation. Yeah. Uh, you, you, as you might expect, I'm going to advocate strongly for pediatrics as the career pathway. Um, but, um, but, it's, but if what you want to do as a consultant is work in a children's emergency department as a PEM consultant, pediatric emergency medicine and so on, there are two pathways open to you. That's definitely true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you mentioned uh, at the beginning about this perhaps being a, a, a difficult winter. I mean, how? <laughs> uh, I, I've just started in, in ED uh, this this week, which is stressful enough. But I mean, it's absolutely, you know, it's it's crazy. Uh, what's pediatric ED like? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really tough one. Um, we, we are, I think, all of us, um, you know, as an F2 through to a consultant like me, uh, living in really, I mean, the word unprecedented has been used exhaustively in the last 18 months to two years, but but I think we are living through really quite unique times still. Um, you know, in pediatrics at the height of the pandemic in early 2020 or, you know, midway through 2020, we were really not seeing many patients at all. We, we were kind of generally spared. In fact, some of the moral injury that pediatricians and pediatric nursing staff, for example, experienced during some of those first peaks was because we weren't sure what to do to help. Um, that is not the case now. Um, you know, we are seeing the highest numbers of children, children's emergency attendances that we've ever seen throughout the country. Um, all children's emergency departments are really, really struggling at the moment. And it's a combination of factors um, that are complex and involve, you know, hospital capacity, parenting, expectations in the community, an overwhelmed primary care service, um, you know, lots and lots of sort of significant problems. But yes, I, I don't think one, one shouldn't gloss over this. It's, it's proving to be a very serious problem. It's hurting staff. Um, you know, there are a lot of very tired nurses and doctors out there. Um, and, you know, we're going to need each other uh, in the coming months. You know, the Thursday clap feels like a very long time ago now. I think, you know, members of the public seem to have slightly worn out some of their patients. Um, I mean, you know, patients with a C, that is. Mm. Um, and I think that is a problem. We're seeing unprecedented levels of violence and aggression in our department, for example, which in pediatric emergency departments historically has not been a thing. So there's a lot going on. But, you know, it's not the first crisis the NHS has ever faced. I'm sure it won't be the last. Uh, and the key thing is that we just have to hang in there and be there for each other. You know, we need to look after each other's well-being uh, psychologically, mentally, physically. Uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, resilience workshops. I mean, you know, really being there for each other, asking each other if we're OK, doing what we can to fix the system, of course. But in the meantime, you know, just looking out for one another and, and looking after ourselves. I took up the guitar two weeks ago, Josh. That's that's what I'm doing, uh, you know, for example, uh, to try and find something to do that's not in medicine to bring me some focus and joy away from work um but you know we just need to be you know looking after ourselves our families our friends uh, uh, and that kind of stuff are you any good at guitar no i don't think so um but it's it's early days i'm, I'm listening to a lot of led zeppelin it's helping 
Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I'm fed up of, uh, of of offerings of of yoga uh, on Wednesday mornings for my well-being. Uh, but I, I, I be honest, I haven't taken it up. Um, but perhaps I should. Um, I, I, for students and foundation doctors considering a career, what what would your sort of recommendations be for 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 things to sort of do? Would it be like audits and things, or, or you know, uh, for, for for things like that? Yeah, so you know what, and uh, and I think if somebody had told me this as a doctor in training at the beginning of my career, I'd have sort of scoffed at them and told them where to go. But um, so you'll just have to take it from me with a bit of experience. Um, don't fast forward too quickly through, or forget how important clinical training is. When I when I was coming to the very end of my training, in fact, when I got my my CCT, my certificate of completed training in pediatric emergency medicine, I went to work in Toronto for a year. I did a fellowship in Canada, which was amazing, partly because I love basketball, baseball, and North American sports. Um, but you know, the Canadians could not stop telling me about how fantastic British medical training is, um, and it really took a sort of objective outsider's view to look at that and think, "Wow, yeah, you know what." we've got some of the best pediatric training in the world and, and for other specialties. Obviously, I can only speak for pediatrics, really. But, but you know, don't, don't forget that. I think there's often a lot of rush, you know, must take time out of program, must go less than full time, must do other things, all of which is fine and I totally support. But there is nothing quite like your craft and your trade. And, you know, one of the reasons why becoming a consultant feels good is because finally, not that you know everything, but you wake up one morning and think, oh, God, you know, I kind of know what I'm doing. And that is an amazingly satisfying feeling. I've got a baby brother. Big shout out to you, Ben. He's an F1 in Birmingham right now, in Wolverhampton, actually. Um, he's just changed jobs, you know, for the second time. He's just on his second job. He's a bit miserable. I mean, I don't really mean that, but he's finding it hard. Yeah. And I think one of, the, one of the things he's finding hard, and this will definitely resonate with lots of you out there, is, you know, that whole, I got just towards the end of my four months, finally figured out that I vaguely knew what I was doing. And now I feel like the rug's been pulled out from underneath me and I'm having to learn a whole new language, introduce myself 100,000 times a day to everybody again, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, the actual training pathway and getting good at your specialty is important. It's important for patients. It's important for families. It's important for you as an individual because that's what you're going to be good at. And I think that's really important. Yes, you need to pick a specialty that you enjoy. Yes, you need to supplement that with whatever interests you might develop alongside that, whether it's research or audit, governance, education, training, simulation, global health, um, you know, art and poetry, if you want. Um, but, you know, also don't gloss over the, the, the job itself because that actually is important. Um, and, you know, will bring you joy alongside all of the other things that you're supposed to do, to, both to jump through hoops, but also to bring you the kind of growth and professional development that's so important. You've, you've got a cool job. I do have a cool job. And, you know, sometimes when things feel a bit miserable, uh, and it sounds outrageous, so, you know, obviously uh, this may be recorded, I guess, but, um, you know, I would appreciate people to, you know, let's keep it between us. You know, sometimes I have to turn on an episode of ER uh, or Grey's Anatomy, and I watch people. And I think, oh wow, they do something really cool, and I think, oh no, that's that's what I do. Um, and I think occasionally, <laughs> um, you know, occasionally we can all become so preoccupied with how difficult things feel that we don't live, you know, in the present and really think to ourselves, wow, you know, what 
What a fantastic privilege it is to do what we do. Challenging as things are, difficult as the NHS is, um, you know, awful as this winter may turn out to be, you know, there's lots for us to be thankful for. Um, you know, we do a fantastic job. Um, you know, I would encourage people to ask themselves really seriously. Um, if, you, if you're not going to be a doctor, um, what, what else are you going to do? And, and, I, and that's not a challenge to people. I mean, if there is something you think you would rather do that will bring you more happiness, I think you should do that. You know, life's not a dress rehearsal. But actually, I think sometimes if you really stop and reflect, you know, what other professions are there where you get to be with such fantastic people, work with such amazing colleagues, um, work with and be with families that they're most vulnerable, you know, what a privilege that is. Um, you know, I think it would do all of us, myself included, some good to really stop and pause and reflect on that a little more often mm. than we probably do. You know, and like I say, I, I don't know completely what I'm going to be doing in my career in another five or 10 years time even. Um, so I think, you know, there's some real strength to making sure we're constantly thinking about what we're doing, um, living in the moment, but also looking forward. Um, and, you know, to, particularly to all of you out there kind of starting on career pathways to my baby brother, Ben, and to many others, um, you know, just enjoy yourselves. You know, life's too short um, to feel completely stressed about everything all the time. Um, you know, find what you love, do it, um, uh, you know, and do it well. Um, I don't think anyone could ask any more of you than that. It was lovely having you on the podcast and, and talking to you. Thank you very much for, for, for coming on. Yeah, thanks, guys. Happy to help anytime. Let me know if you need me in the future. What a cool job. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more from us, please consider subscribing through your podcast provider. You can also follow Geeky Medics on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you with suggestions on who you would like to hear from next. As always, thank you to the producers of the podcast, Emma Harvey and Lewis Potter. <laughs>